Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Well, another W means it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, even though it doesn't feel like it. But trust me, ladies and gentlemen, it is indeed a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. We are a mirror as of this recording to two eensy-weensy tiny sleeps from being a basketball podcast again. You know what, though, Hummer? By the time they listen to this podcast, it's going to be one sleep, buddy. One if you want to, If you want to speak as though they're listening to this, we're talking one sleep before Cincinnati Bearcats basketball tips off and the Wes Miller era officially begins. Ain't it something? Ooh, ooh, baby. I cannot wait to watch to watch us play a week, hopefully a week, Evansville. I want to see uh, Sam Martin get some playing time in West Miller's first ever uh, game as a coach. I want to see some victory cigar action <laughs> at Fifth Third Arena. All right, it's time to light them up. We need some we need, fired we need, up. We need we need some reasons to smoke stogies around here, right? It's been a while. Um, speaking of Bearcats basketball, we had on Mitch Kurzweil, who is a Cincinnati Bearcats fan from Canada. Can, can we and, can we can we say what prompted that? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, do you want to tell him what prompted that? Go ahead. Yeah. So you know, we hit a milestone. We said when we hit fifty five zero downloads. Sorry, let me wait. Let me rephrase that. 50, 50 downloads? 50,000 downloads, people. 50,000 downloads. That is more downloads than people that fit in the Nippert Stadium, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being such wonderful listeners and fans of the podcast. And with that, we are also approaching, uh, you know, we could be saying 1,000 followers on Twitter. I got another five-star review for you coming straight from Connor Windland. Favorite part of my week. Thank you. We appreciate that. It's the favorite time of our week as well. Love the podcast, fellas. I've been here since it was the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And the transition to covering both football and basketball has been phenomenal. Long overdue for this five-star review. <laughs> but I had to this week since I know a great episode is brewing up after the corrupt football playoff ranking show finished. Keep it up. Thank you, Connor. We will. <laughs> there was some rhyming in there and I couldn't get over it. I thought it was like going to go a little uh, Dr. Seuss on us. And I was like, that's going to be incredible. Uh, thanks for those kind words. <laughs> we appreciate them. Appreciate that, Connor. That was that was much appreciated. It, it is it is reason for celebrating. Mitch happens to be the guy that we kind of think of as our first listener because he's the first person who reached out to us who wasn't a friend, a family member, a close acquaintance. He reached out to us from Toronto, Canada, and explained that he was one of the biggest Cincinnati Bearcats basketball fans on the planet and that he never attended UC and 
adopted Cincinnati as his school of choice uh, during the Sweet 16 run uh, that Mick Cronin went on with with Yancey Gates and company. So we let him come on the podcast, tell that story, and then we we get excited for the upcoming season, break down the Bearcats' chances of winning the American and kind of go through the schedule with them and, and see what he thinks they're going to do this season. So I thought it was a fun conversation. That is up later in the show. But Hummer, we're burying the lead. It is time. It's, it's on purpose. It's time to talk about the 9-0, and undefeated, number two in the AP poll, number three in the coaches poll, and number six, maybe rising in the college football playoff rankings. Your Cincinnati Bearcats football team beat Tulsa 28-20, and it was anything but certain. That was a game for the ages, a day for the ages, when you consider the college game day experience that we had here in Cincinnati. But maybe maybe what happened on the field is something that we never want to think about again. Um, look, I, I, I slept on it. Or I guess I didn't sleep on it. I maybe recorded some ill-fated, maybe regretting words that I sent to you that y'all may or may not hear. I don't know. We'll see what Coomer decides to do with, with the <laughs> no, the record that that happened. Hummer on Saturday night, I was absolutely drained, and I put my children to bed, and then immediately tucked myself in for the night around eight thirty p.m. and I went to bed. That was it for old Zachy. Uh, I woke up around 8.15 in the morning, I think the next day, and and had myself a coffee and felt better about my life and the choices I've made. However, Hummer decided to... <laughs> Hummer decided that that he could not go to bed without expressing his feelings on what had transpired during the Cincinnati-Tulsa game. So I have I have this thread of text messages from Hummer that say... I feel like I need to record a therapy session. It's 8.53 p.m., by the way, Eastern time. Um, by the way, I'm asking Coomer basically to join here, but, you know, I know he let's, ghosts me because he goes to bed. He well, goes to bed like a geriatric at 8.30 at night. <laughs> let's go through all the messages. So about 45 minutes later, it's 9.36 p.m. He says, <laughs> are you able to do a quick 15 to 20? Still no response from me because, again, I'm sleeping. <laughs> now it's 9.53 p.m. I tried... I, let me try this again. 9.53 p.m. I tried something. Tell me if it's any good. 10.33 p.m. Sent you an email. Hummer <laughs> decided to hop on Zoom by himself and record a therapy session. 18 minutes of unrestrained, unfiltered Hummer on what he had just experienced as a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan while watching the Tulsa game. I'm going to publish that bad boy. Um, that's getting out there for the people. So I'm going to post it at the very end of the podcast. The context is that this is as close to an emotional reaction as you can get to a very difficult and frustrating yet victorious game. So we're going to leave it there. And now me and you can, can proceed into discussing you know, 36 hours later, I'm more, I guess closer to 24, my 36 hours later, we'll call it 36 hours later. Uh, the Tulsa near, I don't even know what you call this. The Cincinnati 
close victory over Tulsa. How do we even begin, Hummer? Where do we start with this game? I'm going to start by prefacing it with, with this statement. I am sick and tired of not being able, and maybe, maybe it's my fault for not being able to, but not being able to enjoy victories anymore. Like we freaking won the game. We, and if you think about the last, like, what would that be? 10 plays of the game, you know, 10, nine, uh, seven, eight, nine, 10 plays a game, whatever it may be. A, a series that saw us basically stand up Tulsa in four down territory on the goal line that featured a, a ridiculous giving yourself up at the two, three yard line by Tulsa's quarterback. Um, but that, that being said, we, we, yep, they choked, Choke. we held them, but we get the ball back. And we run like we're going to do just a little QB sneak when you actually kind of maybe need to go for a little bit of a first down here, you know, or something. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. But we fumble. We fumble on that play. We turn the ball over Tulsa and we held them for four straight plays, including a basically a game ending uh, fumble in the end zone for a touchback. Like that, that's actually a pretty remarkable thing. And you should be excited about that, that you, you pulled off that miraculous feat of, of not letting a team gain five yards in eight tries. But um, no, here we are worrying over what a group of, of men who need braces think about us. And, and not allowing us to revel in the fact that our Cincinnati Bearcats have yet to taste defeat. That victory is the only substance we know. The only foreign object been placed inside of our bodies is beautiful tasting victory. I think it's a good point. Um, look, I've been trying to explain the essence, the quandary that Bearcats fans face when we play a schedule like we're currently playing. I, in many ways, could see something like this coming when you go into a, a, a stint of the schedule, four games, where you're playing Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, and now next, South Florida. It's, it is the opposite of a murderer's row. There is very little in my mind that the Cincinnati Bearcats can do in a game, in games like Navy, in games like Tulane, Tulsa, and South Florida. There's very little we can actually do to help our case. It's just, it's just the fact of life. Like there's the opponent is so weak. They have such little cachet on the national stage. They have so little respect from people on the college football playoff committee that when you play them, whether you beat them by 19, whether you beat them by eight, whether you beat them by 25, all in all, it goes together as this mishmash of victories over inferior competition. Now I would be, if, if you talked to me three weeks ago and said, what's your expectation coming out of this four game stretch? I would have, I would have said realistically, we probably struggle in one of these games because of human nature, because of the fact that sometimes it's just hard to get up for an opponent that you are so clearly outclassing. That's what I would have expected. You could have convinced me that maybe two out of two out of the four games were difficult or more difficult than they should have been. 
here we are now three games into this four game stretch, a stretch that, that whose opponents had a, a combined record of six and 20 entering the stretch. We have yet to be truly emphatic in any one of these games. I would say Tulane was the game that was most clear and decisive in terms of having a second half performance that was dominant. The Bearcats were outright dominant in the second half of the Tulane game. I hope I didn't misspeak. The Bearcats were outright dominant in the second half against the Green Wave. This last game against Tulsa was a very, very poor performance from the Bearcats. Like this was an underachieving performance. And I have to admit, it's it's the last thing I really expected when you factor in having game day on campus, the hype, the buildup, the expectations, the national stage has literally been set for you, for the entire nation to look upon our campus, to look upon our football team, and to watch what we can do against Tulsa. Now, they are a team that has historically given us problems. They put up a nice fight against Ohio State, though they ended up really pulling away there in the final minutes of that game. They gave Oklahoma State a run for their money on the road. And historically, they've been a bit of a nuisance for us. It's It's been a tough team for us to to blow out and, and it's a, it's a game that's in conference. So there is going to be a level of difficulty to this, but Tulsa, the biggest thing for me, Hummer, and I, I imagine you want to talk about this too. They ran for 297 yards against the Bearcats two nine seven again and again and again, six yards, seven yards, 12 yards. They pierced, they pummeled, they punished the Bearcats defense by simply running the ball. Yeah. I mean, at some point we have to, we have to, let's just take a guess. All right. The last three weeks, there's been a common theme among what our opponents have been doing to try to beat us. And that has been to not even run the ball outside of the tackles. It hasn't been to, you know, throw intermediate passes or try to, throw against our you know impenetrable secondary they've been running as and i don't remember who put this out there but to quote some anonymous source who's not anonymous somewhere on the internet internet verse a 1937 style offense something that has been studied for almost a hundred years which is basically line up in an i formation run the ball up the gut and we just can't stop it um so it's frustrating because it's the most frustrating part about it is you watch and you're sitting there thinking to yourself and you said, I think you gave me crap for this last week saying you really, we couldn't think like that. We shouldn't think like this. What happens if we play someone who has an elite running back and they want to do this and we're not ready. You know, it's like we're on, we've been talking every week that, Oh, Oklahoma is on the verge of losing a game. Oklahoma, just wait, they're going to lose a game. Oregon, you know, they haven't been playing very well. They're on the verge of losing the game. It feels like we are on the verge of losing a game by the way we're playing. We need, there needs to be changes and there needs to be some people held accountable and answering to these questions because we have the talent. We know it's not a lack of tackling. It's not like we're missing tackles. It's just we're, we're not – the scheme is wrong. But you look at this Tulsa game and you get the first quarter, that might be one of the best quarters of UC football I've seen all year. We, we stifled them. We made them punt. We scored uh, and almost had three, three straight scores if it wouldn't have been a, a turnover – 
uh, on one of the possessions for Dez. We could have been up 21 nothing. Um, but Tulsa, even when we got them, they got the ball in, in scoring position and we essentially, you know, knocked them back. We knocked them off the rocker and we, we, we knocked them out of field goal position to come back and put up just what might have been followed by the worst quarter of Bearcat football that we've seen all year in the second quarter allowing Tulsa to score 12 unanswered points. We couldn't contain them on anything that we were doing um, uh, defensively and offensively. We couldn't get it going drops galore. Running game is, is non-existent. And at the same time, we also had, had Ford, you know, miss out on a, uh, on an injury there, by the way, I'm going to throw a little Ford. uh, Ford was the number two uh, receiver on the team this week with two receptions, 67 yards. One of them, should have, could have almost been a touchdown, but I digress. Uh, just going through the going through the quick game there. Third quarter was followed like fourth. Third quarter was like the second best quarter of football I've ever seen the Bearcats play. Looks well, just down. like the first. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Oh. Like we we need to stay on the on the run defense for a second because we've talked plenty this season about the offensive, I would say inconsistency, right? The the boom and bust sort of nature of this this Mike Denbrock, Des Ritter offense. But we haven't, I mean, I mean we've certainly mentioned the defenses seemingly, uh, you know, maybe just the, the fact that, that we've struggled against the run the past two weeks, right? Like we, we struggled against Navy a bit to, to, to get them to punt the ball or to turn the ball over like we were accustomed to the first handful of games of the season but we were able to chalk that up to the triple option. We were able to chalk that up to being a quirky offense that we weren't as prepared for as we were the prior season. And that, Hey, wash our hands of this. It's not something we have to face the rest of the year. Tulane came in that next week and did the exact same thing, not through a triple option, but in the first half of that game, they battered our skulls in by running the ball. They, in the first, I think 10 to 12 minutes of that game, had 123 yards rushing, six yards of carry. I mean, this is Tulane we're talking about. Now, the second half, the Bearcats cleaned it up, dominating defensive performance, gave up, I think, zero points in that second half, scored 17, night-night. It was it, we, put, we put Tulane to bed. Everything was fine. Tulsa came out, and basically, for after those first three possessions that you talked about, where we, we went, we forced a three-and-out punt force a three and out punt force a three and out punt. And it's important to recognize that the third possession, that three and out punt, that that was a negative four yard possession for Tulsa after which we had thrown an interception on a Michael young drop. So the defense was basically overachieving in that situation. I went so as far to say like, this was the remember the Titans don't give them another effing yard, right? Like we, we came out, like we were going to absolutely demolish Tulsa and had the mentality of, yeah, we're not, we're not having any sort of let up in this game. This is a three point seven point effort from, from Tulsa in this game. Instead, they stuck with the run. And then again and again and again, got huge chunks of yardage. And it seemed like we had zero answers through the entire game. In fact, it seemed like it got worse and worse as the game went along. And the Bearcats are, are known now at this point for playing this, this three-man front. It's an offense that Marcus Freeman went to. If you read, you know, Justin Williams' past writings, he did a good job explaining that it was a defense that evolved 
from some of the high high octane offenses that we were running into in the American Athletic Conference, particularly Central Florida. Like this was a response to the Central Florida offense that was throwing the ball all over the field. Now that we're we're in a conference against opponents that say, look, we, we're not going to try and throw on you guys. We see Sauce Gardner out there. We see Kobe Bryant out there. Last year, we saw Derek Forrest and, and, and James Wiggins. This year, we see Brian Cook, Javon Hicks, Arquan Bush. Like, we, we don't want any part of that. But so we'll take the lesser of two evils, and we're just going to run the ball on you. And we don't seem willing or able to adjust to this obvious overt mentality opponents are going to take of control the ball, keep it away from your offense and, and just play, play possession football. And now we're on three straight weeks of teams doing this to us with having, while, while having no answer whatsoever. It's also, it's kind of, it's not only not having an answer, it's like going about it in this nonchalant way. You know, like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, a W is a W. And look, I get that. And for any other team, unfortunately, it is. Because here's the difference between Tulsa and Nebraska. And it's not a big difference, to be honest. It's really not. Um, Nebraska gets like $23 million a year and Tulsa doesn't. So that's the really only difference between it. its brand. And unfortunately, that is is what we have to deal with. That's the hand that we are, unfortunately, being dealt. Um the good news is for the cats, I know you don't want to get off the defense because it is what it is. And the only thing I can say is, look, Tressel needs to be held accountable. There needs to be answers. There needs to be adjustments. There needs to be changes. Whether that's still running the three, but bringing pressure more often, because it seems to work when we were bringing pressure. It's like one series you do so well because you are bringing the pressure. You force a punt. The next series you're out there on defense and you're playing everybody back again. Like, look, let these guys play in the secondary. Let them play. You know, don't be afraid. I don't think we should be afraid to throw a little more man the man coverage and let Sauce and Kobe Bryant do their thing, you know, until they actually start getting beat. You know, like, don't stop playing prevent defense. All right. P- go back to playing Black Cats defense. Be aggressive. I think that's the issue right now, as we're seeing in this defense, is we're not being aggressive. And, and that's, that's where I think Trestle needs to be held accountable. To me, it's sort of the, the embodiment of where we're at as a team. I think that the, there seems to be a lack of aggressiveness. And I think that the past few seasons, we've grown accustomed to a defense that is hyper-aggressive, that is all about forcing turnovers, and therefore does sacrifice at times giving up big plays in the spirit of, of forcing this turnover. We seem to be settling more into this low-risk, uh, bend but don't break defense. We have amazing red zone defense, and we proved it at the end of the game. Eight straight stops inside the five yard line to preserve victory. Clutch, amazing, like amazing stuff. Historic level of effort from the defense in in the most pressing of moments while while the season is on the brink, essentially. But by and large, like our the defense is so talented, and there's so much especially in the secondary and especially with my J Sanders, my J Sanders pass rushing. Why wouldn't we be desperate to force teams like Tulsa and Tulane? Certainly not Navy. They're not going to throw the ball, but these inferior opponents with quarterbacks who cannot slice and dice you consistently force them to throw the ball, do whatever it takes to say running the ball is not an option. You have single man coverage on, on, on the end. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to beat Sauce consistently? Are you going to beat Kobe Bryant consistently? Let's see you do it. Like we should be puffing our chest out 
and making teams beat those guys one-on-one. Prove you can do it. I mean, I feel like that is what it is. It, for, it's, one of these, it's one of these rare situations. It's rarefied air where all the fans seem to be able to see it. We all kind of are able to diagnose the problem and what we kind of assume is to kind of be accurate here, but the coaching staff is incapable of that, uh, of seeing their faults. Uh, so it's frustrating. It's, I don't know. It's kind of what made me go through a little bit of like the five stages of grief because, you know, you had on one hand, this season, one of the most famous lines that is probably ever going to be uttered in Bearcat sports lore, Dan Horde at the end of Notre Dame when in the final second saying opportunity seized these last three games in particular, this one at Tulsa with game day in town, with all the hype surrounding the program with maybe, maybe even a tinge of being able to, to change maybe what some of the, the college may be hopeful here, but changing what the, the CFP committee thinks seeing other teams struggle like Oregon, Ohio state, a loss from Michigan state. And it feels like it's opportunity squandered with Tulsa. That's we had it, the opportunity. It, it's a good line opportunity squandered, but they haven't squandered it because they haven't lost. And that's the thing. Like we, it's so easy for us to feel like we have to win by X number of points in order for this to actually mean anything, but we didn't squander the opportunity because we won the game or nine and oh, there are still four games left on this, on the regular season schedule. Like there are, there are still many an opportunity. I'm sorry, three games left on the regular season schedule plus the conference championship game. So four games left before the bowl game. And it, it this sport is so fickle, right? I don't, I, no pun intended there, but it's just, there's so much chaos that can still happen. We saw it with Michigan state. We see it every week with teams struggling with, with, with teams with losing records and, and, and Oregon, yes, they put away Washington, but do you really feel confident they're going to win at Utah? Do you feel confident that, that they're a sure thing when Washington state comes to town? Are we sure that, that Ohio state can get through, you know, Michigan state and, and Michigan, well, they're going to get through Michigan because Jim Harbaugh can't win a big game. But my point is there's still so much chaos yet to happen. And the Bearcats have dodged every bullet possible and, and there's some where they, I'm not, they're look, the I'm not, I'm not trying out. to, I'm not trying to argue like why the committee should do something. I'm telling you what the committee is going to do because they've given us the evidence of what is about to happen. Oklahoma gets the gift of not playing this past week. Therefore they get the gift of jumping Cincinnati. Like that's just something that's probably going to happen because they get, get they're going to get gifted that. Like we know this committee isn't going to take us serious. They're going to say the same thing they said last week. Well, we respect Cincinnati for, for their, for what they, their win against Cincinnati or Notre Dame. But besides Navy and Tulane, who have they played? They barely beat Tulsa. That is going to be their narrative. And I, I, I'm look, I'm just trying to be realist here because I don't think it's right. Like, I don't, I don't think that necessarily should be the margin of victory because look, Alabama certainly isn't going to get punished for beating a really bad LSU team by six. We know that's not going to happen. Like, so what do I, what do I really have to look forward to except this, the Bearcats are undefeated. This has been a magical season. At the end of the day, I'm just going to stop freaking worrying about 
the college football playoffs and just if, if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. At the end of the day, we're going to go undefeated this year. We're going to beat every opponent that's put in front of us. And God damn it, if I have to, I will watch the AP voters do it for us because I almost, I'm almost certain that if we actually go undefeated and we, even if it's New Year's Six Bowl, I would not be surprised to see some AP voters vote us number one. We'll get there. Like we're going to get there in a few weeks as, as to whether that happens. I will say this. There's a reason we want and wanted out of the American Athletic Conference. There is a level of validity to the last three games were Navy, Tulane, and Tulsa. Tulsa, to me, is in a different class to Tulane and Navy. Like those are two programs that you simply, you're, you're just checking a box. You're just checking the W in the box. You're not going to be at risk there. These are programs that just have insufficient talent to actually threaten you and to actually beat you. And especially in Tulane's case, like it, it is a legitimate fact that they were playing a freshman quarterback who had thrown, I think, two passes heading into that game. And, and they did enough to not get absolutely embarrassed by the Bearcats. There, I guess what I'm saying with this is the truth of the, there, there's truth to why we wanted to leave the American. And it's why we know deep down that we should be winning more emphatically if we're if we were actually maximizing the talent on this roster. Right now, the way the Bearcats are playing, it's not a maximization. I don't think that we're actually reaching the peak of where this team can go. And I think that what we saw against Notre Dame, what we saw against Central Florida, those two performances were much closer to, hey, this team is special. And we've got elite defensive talent. We have really talented offensive playmakers. And when things are clicking, you don't want to fuck with us. Like we're, we're willing and able to go up against any of the best teams in the country and beat them on any given day. And the way that the Bearcats have played the last few games, that's not the case. But I do think it's important to remember we still have USF, SMU, ECU, and most likely Houston coming up all opportunities to paint a much brighter, much more robust, much more accurate picture of what this team is all about. It's just a matter of, can they actually turn it around? Because it's, we keep expecting it to be the next game and the next game and the next game. This is going to be the one where they cover, where they, they blow the team out, where things look normal again. And it just hasn't gotten there. And so you're almost scared as a Bearcat fan are, is what we're seeing. Is that the new normal? <sighs> I mean, it's uh, it's not even fun to talk about it because it, from all the evidence it's pointing to, it is a new normal. We haven't seen anything over the last three games that point to anything being any different than the week before it, right? And so until we actually see some change in scheme, then I'm gonna pres- I'm gonna presume that this is gonna be the next thing that comes forward. South Florida is a running team. We know exactly what they're gonna do. They're gonna run the ball. Are we gonna come out and do something different? Because if not probably looking at a similar result of a close game against an inferior opponent, you know? And so it's hard for me to sit here and and be happy about this when what we're seeing is, is not what we're expecting, which is beating inferior teams because we have superior talent, right? We we've talked about that before. Like these guys go out there just knowing they have better talent and, you know, for all the talk of like, yes, Tulsa was within seven points of Ohio state. Some fortuitous Ohio State breaks make it a 21-point game. It's 14-point spread in four minutes. 
we we could have gone that route too. We literally, this game could have been out of hand from Tulsa in a very short amount of time, but we didn't execute. So there needs to be a little something a little better on that. For instance, on defense, I think it was two plays in a row, or maybe it was like uh, you know, like a, a play, you know, nice play, play, but we had two penalties that were for too many men on the field on defense. Unacceptable at home. Not in some crazy environment where you can't hear what you're thinking. At home, you make that mistake. Unacceptable. Coaching staff needs to be held accountable. They need to get, they need to be doing a better job. This team needs to be more disciplined and they need to make some better, better decisions. We've spent a lot of time on the defense. It's probably deserved based on 297 yards rushing for Tulsa, but I do think we need to mention offensively. There were some really, really awesome moments for the team offensively. It, to me, the performance offensively in this game was a bit of a microcosm for what we've seen the entire year. The first drive of the game for the Bearcats, straight down the field, seven plays. What was it, 53 yards? Touchdown. Touchdown. You saw lots of Dez running. You saw a very aggressive Dez Ritter running the ball earlier in the game. And it's, it's kind of like one of those things where you know, if the folks on the podcast and the folks on Twitter, if they're saying it and it's that obvious and it's that successful when you actually do it, like, come on, guys, it should have, it, it needs to be easier and it needs to be much more baked into the game plan to have Des using and threatening with his legs because every time we see it consistently, it works. Now, after that first touchdown, we already mentioned it came back and, and Des threw an interception on that second drive, but it was, it was an interception that on a pass that was a tad high, but it went right off the hands of Michael Young Jr. Who struggled again in this game with the drops and he wasn't alone. Alec Pierce, who generally has incredible hands, had a big drop in this game. Trey Tucker, who may or may not have been concussed at the time of his drop, but you know, tried to make a diving grab on a deep pass from Dez that was also dropped. There's there's opportunities for big yardage gains here that were left on the table uh, by 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 big drops, and I think that held us back. Uh, you saw the Bearcats in the first half. We we go down the field. We we go touchdown, interception, touchdown on our first three drives, and on that fourth drive. The Bearcats have first and 10 at the Tulsa 18. And after a no gain run on first down, Ritter gets sacked for a loss of three yards on second and 10. And then on third and 13, Ritter again gets sacked for a loss of four yards. So we go back backwards seven yards on that fourth possession to fourth, a force a fourth and 17. And now a 43 yard field goal, which would have been a 36 yard field goal. Christian Lowry misses it. Tulsa goes down the field, touchdown. So you go from potentially a 17-3, if you put a touchdown on the board, a 21-3 a to lead, and you see it evaporate, go to 14-9 after they miss the extra point. Those are the types of moments where it's, it's that offensive inconsistency. It's Dez taking sacks that you simply cannot take in that situation, knowing that our kicking game is as compromised as it currently is. That, to me, felt like a huge moment in the game. I mean, look, for as much as – I mean, you're hitting on all the, all the big points here. What, what can we say? 
this game was was plagued with offensive inconsistency, mostly due, in my opinion, due to the drops. Uh, it was also big. It also hurt when Ford goes out of the game. True. You know, when Ford goes out of the game, that's a dynamic element of your your scheme that goes out the door. We know how big of a factor he can be. Ritter did a, a good job. And look, we did have two really good quarters of offense. We did move the ball pretty well. I mean, we had 274 yards of receiving, right? And in 106 yards of rushing and, you know, add Ford in there, maybe that, maybe that's more. Um, so we didn't have struggle moving the ball. It's just sometimes we struggled getting it into the end zone or once again, with the drives being stalled out. Um, once again, I think we also saw the, the vanilla, some of the vanilla play calling at times. We saw some, you know, some weird ones. Um, it's doesn't the play calling seem kind of like Jekyll and Hyde, like on one side of things, you have play calling where it's like runs up the middle, very conservative, easy, easy to snuff out runs up the middle, or we're going to go downfield 30 yards and try and make jet a big sweeps play. and hitting, hitting Ford off the wheel route. Like, it just like feels it's, it's, it kind of feels like all or nothing or hyper conservative. Whereas like are should we be spending more time trying to eat in that high percentage passing game? Because it seemed there were moments of this game where you see Wiley for an easy catch. Now he ended up fumbling the ball on the catch, but like there's there's Wiley and there's Lenny Taylor and there's Ford out of the backfield and and Trey Tucker in the short passing game. These easy options that are out there that it seems like we could feature more because they're going to get you bigger chunks, but they come with a lot less risk because it seems like we, we oftentimes will go for these huge shots downfield. And I love a few of them. I mean, like you want to mix it in some because Alec Pierce is such a monster downfield, but it, it seems like we don't necessarily have a feel for that when to do it and when not to do it. And, and when the timing is right versus when it's not, um, I, it just doesn't seem like Denbrock has a feel for, calling a game for lack of a better word. Like I think there's clearly some, some wrinkles that he's implemented that have been successful. It's certainly not like he's a complete catastrophe as an offensive coordinator, but it's, I don't know. It just feels like there's something left to be desired here. I mean, it's, uh, it's been kind of the case all season. We've been just asking for something not as conservative on, on the play calling front. And, you know, once again, calling the coaches to, to task, taking the coaches to task here. We have the playmakers. We have the ability to do it. Well, let's stop running a high school offense here. Well, it's sort of like we run conservatively and pass aggressively, and that almost needs to be flip-flopped. Like our runs, you need to be more aggressive in mixing up the types of runs you're doing when you have an athlete like Ford. While with, with the passing offense, the big shots being the primary focus of our team isn't, isn't the right way to do business when you have the talent we have on our offense. And Des has the, you know, the strengths that he does, which is a running the ball, but then B that short to intermediate passing game. It just seems, it just seems a bit backwards. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating to say the least. Uh, because look, I, I said this before in, in this rant and you kind of stopped me. It seemed this game seemed like one of roller coasters offense firing on all cylinders. We seem creative. We were doing different things, you know, jet sweeps, getting guys out off the, off the edge in the first quarter, we scored 14 points. It seems like we went back to runs up the middle and we score zero points. Uh, we come back in the third quarter, we come hot. We score 14 points. We go back to being conservative. We score zero points. It's just inconsistency. 
And I think that that also starts from the top with, with Mike Denbrock. I don't know. This game was a scary. Like, we should be excited. We won the game, but I just don't, I don't feel good about it. I yeah, just don't. And, and we're not even talking in detail about what happened at the end of the game when, when Deshaun Pace makes what seemed to be a season-saving tackle uh, at, at the, basically the one-yard line. And turn, it's on fourth down. Tulsa turns the ball over on downs at the, you know, essentially at, at the Cincinnati two-yard line. And Bearcats get the ball back. Minute 14 left of the game. It seems like we're going to put it away. Des Ritter fumbles the, sat on the snap on first down, gives it right back to Tulsa. So the defense has to go right back back on, onto the field at the two-yard line. Another four plays. They get the stop. Uh, you described it like the quarterback going down at the two-yard line or one-yard line, whatever that was, was, was stunningly incompetent. It was, it was almost on the verge of, of cowardice in terms of how he went down. Like, dive into the end zone. If you're a Tulsa fan... Uh, you're just your mind is 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 exploding at that moment. But all in all, it worked out for the Bearcats. They get out of there with a 28-20 victory, nine and zero in the season. Continue forward on our path to potentially earn the right to play in the college football playoff. We know it can get better. We know it has to get better if we're going to reach that ultimate goal. But the reality is, we still have a shot because we are still undefeated, and the Bearcats have still not lost a game. Now. Before we get into basketball, before we get into your your therapy session, I do think we need to end on a high. And so let's talk a little game day. Let's talk a little signage. Let's talk a little little bit about what was overall a resounding win for the University of Cincinnati when it came to having game day on our campus. Uh, uh, I had the largest, and excuse my language here, I had, you know, I don't even know if I want to be that crude, but God damn, I had an erection yesterday. Uh, that, that was awesome. Look, game day, I watch it here and there, but it's always something that's on in the background. It's something that I'm never really kind of, you know, hardcore paying attention to, but it was awesome seeing it on your campus. And not only that, seeing the turnout, and it was very, very clear, like that that was one of the best crowds ever for game day. Like it was packed to the brim. Uh, Mason Madsen, look, that guy was a camera magnet. He didn't even know it. He was just always there. He was always on that, that left side of your television screen. Oh, man, that guy was good. The signage, oh, love it. Gary Barta wears braces. Uh, you know, Bear, you know, the quality losses, uh, you know, something that the CFP can get behind. Love it. Uh, there, was, there was some good stuff there. I don't know who let the Jesus posters in. Um, those guys were obnoxious, but that's all the attention I'm going to give those those guys. Um, I mean, what was one of your favorite your favorite moments from game day? I got to be honest, my my favorite moment was waking up. Like I said, I, I well, I woke up on Saturday, and I go to take a dog on a walk, and not a dog, my dog. I take <laughs> I'm not just fighting a random dog on the street to walk on a Saturday morning, but I don't lie. I walk out of my uh, my front door and instantly I hear the marching band playing the fight song. Like I'm walking outside and I'm waking up to the UC fight song at 840 in the morning. It was incredible. It was such a vibe. Um, I live about a mile and a half from campus. It is not normal for me to hear the marching band 
on game day at or on any game day at 8:40 in the morning. But what that was followed up by was a a massive erupting noise of of screaming, yelling, passionate fans. I think doing down the uh, down the drive, but it was so loud and so unified and just so happy and I was hearing it on my front lawn. To me that was like the most perfect incredible way to start my day knowing that college game day was on campus and knowing that UC fans had shown out so emphatically that I was hearing it at my house. Mm. Uh, that did give me chills when he sent that video. I mean, it's game day. Um, I'm going to give you a little credit for something here, you know, cause I was emphatically on board with uh, Mr. Nicholas Shea. So I owe you in my opinion, a, a, a humble apology. I am down on my knees begging for your forgiveness. He actually brought zero. I thought he would bring something to the parade. He brought nothing. Like, he brought, like, what, for a guy who has his own TV show now, brought zero charisma to, uh, to the broadcast. Um, you know, brought no cachet, no swagger. He was just kind of just like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Nick Lachey, and, uh, yeah, I've done this before, and, hey, it's nice to see you again. Uh, yeah, this is my hometown, but this was boring. Nothing. It was it, the, the biggest problem to me with the Nick Lachey choice, and it doesn't matter that much in the scheme of things, it was uninspired. It wasn't, the, it wasn't someone who was going to get the crowd pumped up. You're not going to bring him out on stage and see the fans – you know, faint and swoon like they did for Luke Fickle. And and honestly, with a game day picker, you want to see if you could get the crowd to really get behind them. And I thought with Lachey, it fell flat. He didn't have much personality out there. Um, his his a couple of things from Lachey, and I'll leave him alone after this. For one thing, college game day, their first tweet about him which was Nick Lachey, College Game Day's Week 10 guest picker, sent at 3.38 p.m. on November 5th. That tweet got deleted because apparently Nick Lachey didn't like the picture they used. And they, he found it unflattering. And so hours later, they sent out a second tweet announcing the pick. This man is just, he's not the kind of vibe we're looking for with this Cincinnati Bearcats football team. I would have much preferred to go with the less famous Kenyon Martin, but a guy who, when he comes out on stage, Lord have mercy, is that crowd going to melt down? It would be an inferno. It would take it from DEFCON 2 to DEFCON 1. Like we are, it's crisis mode for campus security, for people keeping, you know, hide your kids, hide your wives. Like this is, this is going to be an extraordinary event if you bring someone like Kenyon Martin out on stage. Even Kevin Euclid. Uh, obviously the Kelsey brothers who couldn't do this because of football obligations, but I don't know. It fell flat for me. It didn't take away from the experience. So I thought that the signage, absolutely incredible. The, uh, I, I think we know the sign that won and it was a nude Luke fickle, uh, legs, legs spread, arms flexed and, uh, endowed it very well endowed. That was, that was the, that was the winning sign from my mind. But tons of creativity. I thought that uh, Cincinnati showed out incredibly well. Really proud to be a Bearcat in that specific moment. And I was getting texts from 
from people across the country who were, who were quite impressed with what was going on at Cincinnati? Uh, my favorite moment, and if this should just be everybody's favorite moment, um, throughout this whole broadcast, I kept hearing, you know, about Lee, Lee Corso, Lee Corso, Lee Corso. Uh, my wife's family has been enamored with Lee Corso, uh, you know, spending time uh, at the Rose Bowl, all that stuff, meeting Lee and apparently being a nice guy. But when the Bearcat put on, not when Lee Corso put on the Bearcat head, which was awesome in itself, because let's be real, we actually have one of the greatest mascots in the history of college sports. Like one, our Bearcat seems to be a very original, that team who creates the persona of the Cincinnati Bearcat. This is top-notch phenomenal. The mascot himself, the costume is awesome, but when he puts on the Lee Corso big head, absolutely epic moment. Uh, another epic moment, Grant, not necessarily from the game day, but the, from the game. I don't know if you saw this. I think you maybe you sent this to me, but the Bearcat was was uh, basically playing the DVD. You know, the, oh. is it, it going to – the screensaver when, when, it, when it hits the middle perfectly with the student section? So good. So creativity out the wazoo with this team. Uh, absolutely flawless execution. Here's the other thing I got to say about, about the game day with the students and way you guys performed. Absolutely admirably. You booed at the appropriate times. You made it known that you don't like Bear. You made it known that Oklahoma or uh, Oregon lost to Stanford. Like you, you made yourselves known and you did it in such a classy way. You did it the right way. I applaud you for that. It was awesome. Like it was definitely uh, a positive showing from the University of Cincinnati, from the city, everything. Uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. It really was. I, I hope one day they come back. I think it put to bed any of the talk of, of ever protesting an event like that, because we did so much more to show our enthusiasm and passion and love for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team and that we're willing to ride and die with them. Right. Like uh, I, I know we're upset and not upset's not the word. We're not upset at all, but we're, we're, we're frustrated that we're not more emphatically winning these games and, and that we're, we're, we're upset seemingly... that we're not allowed to yeah. be excited about winning these games because of what the college football playoff right. committee will do looking at this game. Like that's what yeah. we're upset about. Fundamentally college football is broken when you as a fan can, can nitpick and, and kind of overstress about a nine and O season. So enough of this madness. I, I had a I, overall fantastic weekend beautiful moment for the university of Cincinnati. Well done to everybody involved. John Cunningham, the, the university, the, the athletic department, uh, Sharky putting out the amazing video and shout out from Reese Davis. I thought that was super cool. Um, but look, everyone, everyone affiliated with the program right now is getting their proper due, not just Luke fickle. And, and it's, it's well warranted. They've brought us tremendous joy over these past few years. And uh, let's, let's hang on for the ride, buddy. We are now going to get into Bearcats basketball with Mitch. After that, the last thing you'll hear is Hummer's therapy session. We are now joined by listener one, the man who instilled confidence in Hummer and I to continue this journey of podcasting, Mitch Kurzweil. I would say that the most famous Canadian Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan has joined the podcast. Mitch, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. 
Oh, it's an honor to be here. And as always, it's a great day to be a Bearcat basketball fan, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mitch, I'm, I'm, you, you clearly have listened. And the reason we're having you on is, is I think I'm not kidding when I say, and we call you listener one, because you are the first person that we knew for a fact was listening to this podcast who wasn't a friend of ours or an acquaintance of ours. We already know our wives don't listen, so we knew it wasn't them. Uh, but you emailed us pretty early on in this, in this journey of podcasting to share your thoughts, give some feedback, and, and also give us a little bit of a taste as to why and how you became a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan while living, I believe, in Toronto, Canada. And so as, I don't know, your story seems incredibly unique, and I thought it would be fun to have you on the podcast to tell that story. So at, before we get into talking Bearcats basketball, maybe you can share a bit about yourself and how you became a Cincinnati Bearcats basketball fan. Yeah, so uh, my first exposure to uh, college basketball was really the uh, magical Kemba Walker uh, run in the tournament. And uh, as you guys know, Cincinnati was an unfortunate victim in that kind of um, path by Kemba there. But uh, so the next year, I got all into college basketball, did a bunch of research on the bracket. It was my first bracket, right? So I, uh, I thought I was going to nail it. Absolutely, like, colossal failure. But so I did research into every single team. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to approach this like I'm going to college. I'm going to choose the best team possible. And uh, you guys, you guys got me, man. Like it's the, the culture, the history, the team. I was a big Mick guy at the time. This was actually fresh off the brawl, too. So that was kind of, a, you know, I watched all the interview clips of Mick saying, I made them take their jerseys off. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was uh, quite the experience. And uh, no, I fell in love with the team. And uh, honestly, uh, it's been quite the ride. I mean, since then, what, conference championships? And uh, like, I think my senior year in university was actually the year that kind of Gary graduated, um, what's it called? And Mick, uh, it was the second last Mick year where we were top 10 most of the year. So, you know, that was a pretty sweet journey. And uh, Jaren's one of my favorite players all time. <laughs> you know, everyone in my life knows who Jaren is, my girlfriend, my best friend. I'm always talking about Jaren. They're like, yeah, yeah, Jaren. <laughs> that's a that's a good, a good player, in my opinion, to have as one of your favorites of all time. I feel like he really does embody the the spirit of what the best Bearcat basketball players are. You know, he's got the 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 attitude, the on-court presence of sorts, the toughness. Uh, but then also offensively, I mean, he was, he was fantastic to watch by his, by his junior and senior years. He's basically a one man. He's basically mini James Harden. Like that's what he sort of became this, this one man wrecking crew who can create for others score for himself. And, and honestly, if the, the biggest regret I think I have of the Brandon era is that Jaron Cumberland's senior year was under his tutelage that, that hurts a bit that left a mark. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm rushing through this too much. Where did, you know, a lot of folks who listen to this are American sports fans, um, folks who went to college in America or grew up rooting for a college team. What's the culture like in Canada? Like, do you guys have a college sports system that looks anything remotely like this? Oh, man. No, not at all. Uh, we have like one program that I know of Carlton and, uh, they play um, quite a few U.S. schools and they actually compete pretty good. 
But aside from that, like I went to a school and uh, my one of my friends from, from school is actually coaching the school right now for basketball. So that tells you kind of the professionalism and he has no experience whatsoever. He just played for the team, transitioned to coach. And uh, yeah, so he's like a D2 college basketball coach. Um, so we really have no experience like that. And the whole kind of US experience is completely different because, you know, you guys have entire towns that rally up for sports. Like we can barely even fill the smallest of venues. So, and if you guys have ever watched Canadian football, it's really weird, you know, like the CFL, the field's bigger, it's three downs, there's lots of punting. It's uh, not very good football to be honest. So, but I, I, I honestly, I made Cincinnati part of my like university experience. Like every picture I have through school, there's like my UC hat in the background. You know, I'm, I'm wearing my UC jacket. Like I, I really wanted to just pretend that I was going to Cincinnati the whole way. I'm one of you guys for sure. <laughs> wow, this is incredible. So you said you, re you researched based on bracket, based on history, maybe based on watching the team a little bit. You said you love Mick Cronin's viral clips reacting to the the uh, crosstown shootout brawl. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't get into that enough for sure. The uh, like Mick, Mick was my guy. And when I saw that first team, um, it was the Yancey Gates team with, you know, Dion, Cash, Sean Kilpatrick. And I thought the one big with the kind of four guard lineup was awesome. And you guys just had this toughness about you. And to me, Xavier, they seemed like the kind of prestige kind of like, I've never been to Cincinnati, but they seem kind of like the, the rich entitled kids. And we seem like the kind of the kids that push them around. And I, I like that. And, Nailed uh, it. Nailed and uh, it. one thing I like about us too, is, you know, a lot of schools in the U S you know, it's Michigan, Michigan state, Ohio, Ohio state, we got Cincinnati like on the chest. You know what I mean? Like right. you don't have to question where it's from. It's, it's pretty clear. And you guys are the only Bearcat. Like there's tigers, there's a crap load of other stuff, but Bearcat is unique, man. Like you, we got a brand that is unlike no other. I'm telling you. This hey, is our, incredible. Our pee, so, our pee smells like popcorn. Oh, I'm, dude, <laughs> we shit roses. <laughs> so the, the first season that you, you know, adopted Cincinnati as your team, was that the sweet 16 season? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you have tasted, you've tasted second weekend once in your life. And it was that very first season. Like you didn't suffer. You'd actually didn't experience any suffering before jumping aboard. And you're probably thinking, this is going to be amazing. We're going to be second weekend. You're in, you're out. Dude, it was amazing. I mean, I went a decade without missing the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> True. You cannot admit it, right? <laughs> Honestly, most of Hummer and I's lives as Bearcat fans have been amazing. Like that's as badly as we've underachieved in the postseason, uh, you know, I mean, we've certainly experienced highs. I was incredibly young during the final four run back in 92. So I can't really say I got to enjoy that, but me personally, I have experienced a couple of, you know, a few sweet 16 runs. Those are special, but by and large, it's been, it's been first round exits. Despite that, it is still amazing to root for a program that gets to the tournament year in, year out. And you're a part of that conversation you, you enter every March Madness feeling like this is our year. We're going to go on a run. Here's who we're going to beat. Who we're, here's who we're going to upset. You know, it doesn't happen like that most often, but it does feel like we might be heading back to a time like that under Wes Miller. Oh, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, like I was looking at Ken Palm and I have a chart of kind of my own personal rankings and I balance Ken Palm and Bartovic as well. And uh, like, I don't know what Ken Palm's problem with us is, man, but like what, 117? <laughs> Are you crazy? 
we're, we're getting harsh. punished. We're getting punished <laughs> in Kempom because of our our roster being so new. Yeah, that is something that Kempom doesn't really do a good job of adjusting to when you have a lot of turnover, yeah. which actually leads into Cincinnati maybe being undervalued. And so while the last three weeks from the football perspective have not been good for betting, um, I thought this week maybe if we didn't bet on the Bearcats, it would turn around to fortunes that that actually proved false. But uh, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna be I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna be spending a lot of units on the Bearcats this year in basketball. For sure. I mean at least to cover because even um, if you look at the a lot of preseason projections, like we're I think on Kempom we're seventh in the AAC. And that's going to influence lines and stuff. And that's just crazy, right? Like, I truly think that the only teams in the conference that will struggle to compete with, and that's not to say we won't compete with them. I'm just saying it'll be very hard. I think Houston will have us as per usual. They return pretty much everyone except Grimes, Giroux, and I mean, they added a few. I mean, those are very, very, very good players, by the way. But they were deep to begin with. They have a huge, they've got a great front court. Calvin Sampson's a legitimately great coach. Yeah. And, And so you always kind of pencil them in like you used to pencil in the Bearcats as sort of being like the cream of the crop at the conference. Yeah. They remind me a lot of the year where we lost Gary and kind of all those and Jacob and all those guys. And like, we were still really good the next year because we had the system and all the returning players. I, I, I think they'll be like that. And they still have Sasser who's a pretty elite guard and uh, then Memphis. And I, I, I actually love that Memphis got those two freshmen because our guys are going to get seen on a national level. Like there's going to be eyeballs on those matchups. Like, and I honestly, I'm not convinced if you watch Jalen Duran, like his high school stuff. And I might, this might be horrible looking back, but I think like Abdullah Doe can guard him straight up. Like he's a fifth year senior from the SEC, right? He's got an inch on him and he's got five years of college experience. So, you know, if Penny wants to roll out Duran and, you know, challenges that way like we can compete with that honestly the, the I mean, sneaky penny the, still hasn't proved to be a good coach defensively he's solid because he has all those athletes but offensively it's a disaster right like yeah and he's, heard, he's like he's like a poor man's version of john calipari and it's i know it's a bit on the nose but that pretty much <laughs> is what he is like he does he finds a way to get the best out of these guys or close to the best defensively but offensively there's just nothing even less than calipari and and, and, and frankly, like his teams don't congeal as well as, as Calipari's do. He has, yet, he has yet to really maximize the talent that he seems to get to Memphis. For sure. And they're, they're going to try and play through um, a freshman, the Imani Bates. They're going to try and run him at the point, right? And I mean, when you play through a freshman, that's, I mean, and Penny's a questionable coach to begin with. That's pretty tough combination there, right? And uh, then I already, I already heard that they have returning players who are having strife kind of in the team like they're already having guys sit out because they've added so much that they're they have too much talent and that was a problem last year too so we have really good vibes around our team lay on knock on wood we haven't had any suspensions any you know missed uh, practices or anything like that so you know I, I think with the right chemistry we have the talent to match up with them so that's a good sign yeah and it's a deep team as well you know we have we have several guys that returned i think as i was going through and doing the the basketball preview for cincyslanga.com go check it out y'all um one thing that jumped out at me is we actually do have it's basically a 50 50 split between returning players and new players now the returning players is a bit exaggerated because a couple of those guys include like rob banks who played very few minutes victor lockin who played zero minutes 
but he's got is winning the award for most hyped off season by far. Like there's, I don't remember a guy who, who is as mysterious as Victor and, and he's got the incredibly entertaining Instagram handle, great personality off the court, but we really had no idea what to expect. He's coming in this season with, with moment, like it's a snowball that is rapidly gaining mass. Uh, it's going to be the biggest snowball in Cincinnati come December, come January. I mean, there's, there's people who are basically saying things like he's leading, t- leading practices in points, rebounds, and assists while also blocking shots. He's basically like, it's sounding like a, a weird hybrid combination of Vic, of uh, Nikola Jokic meets Chris Stapps Porzingis with legitimate rim protection. And you're just like, what can this be real? Was John like, maybe the one thing that John Brandon deserves a pat on the back for is his ability to spot and identify talent. Cause we, he, he certainly has brought some very intriguing players to Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the one thing. Uh, as much as, you know, we kind of look back on the Brandon era with a bit of sadness, uh, I'd be devastated if we didn't have Davenport, Micah, Lockin, all these guys, right? But uh, that's the one thing, like, Lockin makes really interesting is we have, like, three, four guys that are, like, 6'10 plus that can play potentially. And a lot of other teams in our conference don't even have other guys that are 6'10 plus in general. So with that length, I mean, in Davenport, it's what, 6'7 himself. He's a really athletic, tall wing. And uh, honestly, for DeJulius, like, I'm more excited about his defense on, than his offense. I've, I've heard he's lighting it up in practice. But, like, you put DeJulius on a freshman, uh, Bates, and uh, you put him on, like, uh, who's the other guy? Kendrick Davis on SMU. These guys are small. And DeJulius can, if he takes that next step, second year in the system, Wes Miller, all that stuff, he can lock these guys up. I think that's exciting. Well, first year in the system because he's got the reset. I think this is four yeah. coaches in yeah. four years for the guy, unfortunately. But but he does. He's got a skill set that, to me, is is uniquely valuable to our roster because you know Wes Miller's made a big deal about having. I think he said he likes four to five point guards on the team, or at least four to five guys who can serve as a point guard on the team. And I guess on this roster, that's DeJulius, it's Saunders, it's Micah Adams Woods. I think it's Mason Madsen. The thing that kind of jumps out to me though. And it really, it really stuck out like a sore thumb in the, in the matchup prior to Wichita State. They were playing, the Bearcats were playing SMU, I think, in the quarterfinals of the American Athletic Championship and, or the tournament. And if you remember, we had a very commanding lead at the end of that game, and SMU just started pressing the hell out of us to much success. And John Brandon was incredibly slow to bring DeJulius back in that game. And it, what it, what it really revealed to me was that the most capable and the most confident we should be as fans and, and the coaching staff should be is when David DeJulius has the ball in his hands. Like he is by far the best ball handler. He's by far the most secure person with the ball. So it's the question is not so much how much do we have to lean on him this season, but how many, how much of a leap can guys like Mike Saunders take forward Mason Madsen take forward Micah Adams Woods take forward in terms of being that primary ball handler outside of David DeJulius. Yeah, I think David, uh, he, I think he averaged four and a half assists last year. And that's been our biggest problem is if you look back to two years ago, Jaron basically took over the point guard role, right? Remember those stretch where he was averaging like six, seven assists per game. It was crazy. Right. And uh, we don't, I'm not, that's my biggest weakness with this team is I think we have guys that are individually offensive, offensively good but who can create 
and, and kind of go get those buckets. I feel like we have a lot of maybe tentative guys. And I think Davenport can drag everyone in there, but he's not a, he's not a ball handler. And I think Mike is fairly limited in his assist kind of game. But if DeJulius can take that next playmaking step, we are going to be a problem because, and, and two, sorry, I should always mention Mike Saunders with his speed in the second unit. And I think that's something we should talk about too. We have a whole second unit that can potentially, you know, give us relief minutes that will be plus minutes potentially. And that's huge for kind of a weaker conference like ours. Yeah, it's easily, we're easily going 10 deep this season. For and sure. it's actually yeah. hard to limit it to 10, to be yeah. frank. Like there's, there's, I think I said there were 10 guys on the team that last season, whether it be with UC or otherwise, like UC, Greensboro, Wake Forest, Clemson, 10 guys on this team average 15 minutes or more per game. That If you added those guys' minutes together, they there's not enough minutes in a basketball game to give them the same number of minutes this coming season. So instantly you're going to have to see sacrifice from some of the guys on this team you know, we can, we can kick around who those guys will be, but also those minutes didn't include Victor Lockin. They didn't include um, Jared Hensley, who are two of the most intriguing off season sort of talents on this roster. If you want to base it on, you know, reports through Bearcat journal or through Justin Williams or any of the sort of reporting coming out of coming out of practices. So I, I do think that when you talked about Memphis sort of having disgruntled players because of, how many returning guys there are and who the new guys are and their status and their cachet and how minutes are being allocated. Wes Miller, you would expect to have the same type of problem, but this team, if you listen to our AJ McGinnis interview, if you listen to how this team is talking about Wes Miller and the coaching staff and the vibe sounds really healthy. It sounds really, you know, they sound in great spirits despite how deep they are. And, and despite the, the baggage you think might come with that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the kind of really cool thing is is this team is super young, but there's not one true freshman on the team, right? So that that's really cool. So they've all played a full year of college, even if Vic, you know, didn't practice play at all. But uh, aside from that, we're young, and that's every single guy could come back next year, I think, except maybe Koval and I think that's it. Uh, Abdul Ado is going to yeah, be sorry, on. he's done for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like Oguama's here another year and I've heard reports he's long and like really a rim presence. Like we have rim presence for sure. And, uh, no, it's going to be exciting. Very exciting. Indeed. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of we where actually I have, to... we actually have a quite, quite a few seniors on this team. So I will actually win it. Like, while it's still young, I think there's a healthy dose of seniority that we're going to see. You guys mentioned Abdul Doe. We have David DeJulius being a senior, Hayden Koval being a senior, Sam Martin's a senior. And yeah, I John, John Newman the third is also a senior on this squad. So there's definitely some experience. And I think that's also something that's going to be overlooked in helping this team, you know, overcome what is uh, seen in the media as being a year that's supposed to be down, a year that that we're picked to finish a poultry six in the lowly American Athletic Conference. Uh, which I I think that's way too low. I think we seventh on Ken Palm. Seventh, seventh on, on Ken Palm. Shame on you, Kenny. Shame on you, Ken Pomeroy. Shame on you. I think the, we're going to finish third. The word is probably new rather than young because I agree. I don't think it's a young team, but it is a new team. There's so many different pieces that are moving around here that haven't played a lot together. But to me, I know I sound like a homer. I know I'm incredibly optimistic every single basketball season. I'm trying to think of the last time where I didn't have high expectations. I do think there was some, some serious skepticism from this podcast 
before the last season, given some of the lineup pairings that we were concerned about with Rapalis, with Vote. Well, let's just, just be honest. It was all Chris Vote knowing that John Brandon was going to continue <laughs> to play Chris Vote. He was continue to add Cowbell to Great American Classics. That's really the main the main worry I think we had last year. And look, Chris Vote is you know doing what he does in Wisconsin. Good good for him. Doing big things in Wisconsin. Lots of Chris Vote skepticism from this podcast, but it does. There's a complete revamp of the front court. It's the thing I'm most excited about because it goes hand in hand with the with the defense that's now going to protect the rim, like the 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 big men that we're throwing out there at center, uh, and and a power forward. These guys play a much different style of basketball than Rappelis Ivanhauskas or than than Chris Vote. I mean that it, those are replacing those two guys with Ado Oguama, Koval, and then the the uh, theoretical Victor Lockin, Victor Jokic that's coming into play here. Uh, that's a massive upgrade for our front court. Oh, for sure. And we're not even talking about John Newman, right? Who um, I think Chad Brendel said he's the total X, X factor, right? But he could be either the best player or, you know, just a guy. But um, if he is, you know, a rock defensively or even a bit of offensively, we don't know what he is like at all. And, you know, we've heard Miss reports that Clemson kind of didn't use him right and he lost confidence, whatever. But with the whole team kind of moving in one direction, I think Newman, what, Davenport, Micah, Saunders, Julius, Oguama, Ado, you're naming all these guys that if they just take that step and the junior year typically is a pretty big year for guys to take step. And we have Davenport and Micah going into that year right now. And there aren't two guys that like I could be more excited about and not, not to bring this up in a somber way, but you know, JD lost his dad. Right. And like, you cannot like, that is going to motivate the crap out of him. And you know, he's always in the gym, right? Like these guys could, could be motivated and they have buy-in that is, that is pretty deep. I, I'm excited. It could be good. Yeah, fired up. <laughs> super fired up for sure. Uh, I want to go back to John Newman III for a minute because if, if we're describing him as, as this sort of X factor, I would be hugely surprised if he ended up being the quote-unquote best player on this team. But what I do think is realistic for Newman, and, and I've been thinking more and more about him and what, this, what his profile is, 6'5", long, athletic, apparently an incredible defender. To me, John Newman, and he's also not that great of a shooter, right? Like he doesn't shoot the ball that well, apparently. He is going to come in and play a style of basketball. He's going to be the player that everybody wished and play the role that everybody wished Keith Williams played last season. Like he's going to defend for 40 minutes. Every minute he's on the court, he's going to be locked in defensively, not falling asleep on backdoor cuts, um, not going to demand any sort of high usage play. Now, I'm a big Keith Williams backer. I loved everything about his his four-year career with the Bearcats. Lots of lots of exciting plays, lots of highs. I mean, we all remember the Memphis dunk over, over Precious Achua. Um, he had a very, very successful career, but I don't know how much can be blamed on Brandon. And frankly, I'm inclined to blame everything on Brandon. So uh, what happened his senior year was he basically ended up overextending himself and finding himself in a role that he's not cut out to play like Keith Williams should not be functioning as a de facto Jaron Cumberland. There needs to be a different type of role for him where he's less 
less required to be a high usage player and more so moving off the ball, you know, taking outside shots when they're available, but more so attack, 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 and then creating for others when the opportunity is there. And then really make your killing defensively, like use that athleticism and that profile to be a shutdown defender. And, and I don't think those things happened last season. I think he was out of position. I think he was not played and, and used in the right way. Newman is going to be the more limited, you know, offensive player, but lockdown defender that sort of would have been the ideal role for Keith Williams. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think what Mike Saunders senior said on the Stein thing that um, Keith, what went rogue a few times last year. And I think that's fair to say offensively and defensively. So, uh, you know, if you have a little less of that rogueness and a little more buy-in and, you know, this might just be on, on a bit of appearance, but uh, Newman kind of gives me less athletic, sorry, less athletic uh, Justin Jackson vibes from back in the day. So uh, if you <laughs> like can kind of see that energy defensive presence, but um, I was looking at earlier too, you know, Trey Scott's numbers aren't all that different from Abdullah Doe's numbers either. And Abdullah Doe has what, an inch and I think 20 pounds on Trey Scott. Oh, he's well, got a lot more than 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, for sure. Trey's looking good, like in the G League there. He's slimmed down. He has. But uh, I was looking at our schedule too, and uh, it'll be interesting because we have a nice balance. Like, I think we have about six top 50 games, and that's, you know, Houston, Memphis, Illinois, and uh, we get them Houston and Memphis twice. I think there's one, oh, and Xavier, they should be in the top 50 with, with or without Fremantle. And then we have like six games that are kind of without that I think will be more, sorry, six games between 50 and 100 that are outside that I think will be interesting kind of testing points for us. You know, the SMUs, the UCFs, maybe Kansas State. Um, we're going to get a Georgia. We, we should, if we don't beat Georgia, I will be upset. I want that on the record now. <laughs> we should, should be upset. Be you should Georgia. be upset if we're not, if we're losing to Tom Crean again. Again, yes. Uh, I, I worry for my dad's health, first off. That is his least favorite coach in college basketball. But then B, uh, just our mental state. Like, Crean, really? Come on. Not again. Yeah. Well, look, man, let's not, let's not sleep on Evansville. If I'm not mistaken, last year uh, they pulled down an upset early in the season of Kentucky. Uh, I think that was two years ago, wasn't it? Was it two years ago? Well, I'm not sleeping on a man. I'm not sleeping on game one here this season. <laughs> Stay I awake. don't want to see. I don't want to see the Bearcats fall to Evansville. You know, definitely don't want to see them fall to Georgia. You know, there, there's no one on this on the front end of this non-conference schedule that I want to see the Bearcats to. The only one that maybe maybe has a tinge of like, okay, I guess if you're gonna lose to one, you're gonna do it. That's Illinois. Uh, everyone else on this non-conference schedule, I'm not worried about it. Egg Xavier, we're going to fry them. Not worried about it. Monmouth, psh, I don't even know where Monmouth is. Is that New, New Jersey? I don't know. Miami, Ohio, it's the first time we played them in, what, 11 years? Get out of here. Ken Palm has us losing to Miami. Good Lord. Yeah. So hey, I a good year to bet the Cats because we're uh, Ken Palm doesn't know what to do with us. You know, about that Illinois game, so Kofi has a three-game suspension, right? And uh, we're the fourth game. Yep. <laughs> so. I'm actually happy about that. I want to see. I want to see our front court up against the likes of Kofi. So I, I okay. welcome it, back, Kofi. Bring on the Bearcats, baby. It, Illinois is one of those teams where they're really good, and if they play at their potential, you know they they'll beat anyone. But they're they're not one of those teams that that we can't compete against. So we could, you know, I I I I'm too much of a homer, but 
we could compete against Illinois, I think. And that, when, that's well, a step up from last year. <laughs> the, tr- the truth of the matter, Mitch, the, the truth of the matter is this team is going to defend like one of the best teams in the nation defensively. Sure. I, I feel more and more confident by the day that this is going to be one of the premier defensive teams in the entire country, let alone the American athletic. Like I think my, my prediction was top two, top three teams defensively in our conference. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that pred- transit your prediction. I'm just throwing this out there. Your prediction was we were only going to lose seven games. Like you put it, you we'll have us basically that. squarely on the, on the precipice of definitely a bubble team, if not outright tournament team top we'll 25 there. is what I'm hearing you say. We'll get there. Cause I want to make sure I get Mitch's prediction on the record here too. I don't want I don't come on here like a Brett Stein, not making predictions about what the record's going to be. Um, I'm just saying that with the, with the defensive versatility this team has and the fact that we can play 40 minutes a game and have an elite shot blocker on the court for every single minute of the game, and that's not including Victor Locken in that conversation, I just think, you know, you pair those bigs with the wing defense of Mike Saunders Jr., David DeJulius, John Newman III, hopefully an improved, more athletic, you know, more twitchy Jeremiah Davenport under the tutelage and training of Mike Rayfeld. I feel like uh, all of those ingredients mix into an incredibly uh, ferocious defense stew. Like that's kind of what I'm, what I'm seeing here. Oh yeah. So uh, just as far as predictions go, I think I have us winning 20 games. I'm not going to go over that, but that, that I, that's the bar. And I think it should be the bar. Okay. So you're saying 20, 20 and 10, 20 and 10. Exactly. So let, I'm going to take you through the schedule. Like I yeah. want, I'm going to go, th- I'm going to read, read a game. You tell me win or loss. I'm going to see how you get us to 20 games and who you see us losing to that. Maybe I didn't see. Yeah. So Ev- the, Evansville sheet up here. Let's start with Evansville. We it's probably easier to just do the losses, right? I mean, nah, like- I wanna, we're just going to go through it. We're going to take people through our entire schedule. Okay. Through the eyes of, of Mitch. This is, this is how he sees the season playing out. It also gives people a chance to hear everything. And then as we're going along, they can make their own yeah, predictions yeah, yeah. in their head and see where they agree or disagree. Evansville. Okay. Evansville. I don't know much about Evansville, but I think we should win that one. The first game, we're more athletic than them. Should be a pretty, you know. I don't even need, you do win. not need to give me analysis <laughs> yeah. on Evansville. I don't want yeah. any analysis. You know, we, don't, we don't really need the analysis. What's this, yeah. this gut reactions here? This Let's is gut it. reactions, win or loss. So you've got us one and zero after Evansville. Yeah, we're home home against Georgia, two and zero. Yeah. Okay, home Alabama A and M. This one I'm certain of. We're we're gonna win here, three and zero. Yeah. By the way, is Alabama A and M the game Jaron Cumberland got suspended for? <laughs> That's not. Yeah. In can, the I, can I? Can I? It's go not. Quick- it, you know what? It's not. It's not the game. This is not the game where the urn was burned. Okay. <laughs> I just That's want to point what we this know. out. Jaron Cumberland was suspended, or it was it was a coach's decision to not play him against Alabama AM on, on Thursday, November 14th, the third game of the season. We play Alabama AM again, the third game of the season, November 16th. I'm just saying, look out for crazy. If an irrational coaching decision is made on this day, might be a red flag. All right, we move on. Home to Presbyterian. Win. Done. Four and zero. Oh. All yeah. right. We then go to Kansas City to play Illinois. Yeah, lose. 
I, I think Kofi Kofi comes out with a vengeance and uh, you coward. You they're coward. too they're too experienced. Like they have Curbelo too, lots of playmaking. I think we'll struggle there for sure. So are we playing the loser then of of Arkansas and Kansas State? So you have us playing Kansas State, I, I imagine. We should play Kansas State, and I think that's our first real fair matchup. They have a lot okay. of new pieces. They have a pretty good defense, uh, pretty bad offense, fair to say. Um, if if we if we win that game, I think good signs to come. If we lose that game, eh, so. are we winning? Are we winning or are we losing that game? For me, we're winning that game for sure. Okay, so we're five and one. We then come back home to play Monmouth. Win. Six and one. We are then traveling up to Oxford to play Miami, Ohio. Win. Seven and one. Homer, make sure I'm getting these numbers right. We oh, I got these. Back, I got these. I got you. Back, I got you covered. Back home against Bryant. Win. Eight and one. What a start. We're in the top 25 now. All right. We're, we're not going yet. Across. We're not in top 25 yet. Schedule. Oh, wait, wait. Sorry. That's college football. It's the only place that really matters. <laughs> we are now traveling across town over to the Centos Center to play Xavier. First controversial pick. I think if they have Fremantle, we probably lose. But because oh, you said that it's down. It's a loss. <laughs> we've but we've lost two in a row, right? And I think the pendulum swings. So I'm going to win. Wow, nine yeah. and one. Buddy. At Xavier, we do not usually win at Cintas Center, but I like I don't I don't know how you're not getting to 20 wins at this point. At this point, you have us collapsing in American athletic play. I we think are, if I was being more fair, we could probably flip the last one. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I don't you it's your picks, right? Yeah, now no, I, I want to be, you know, Bearcats. Okay. We're nine right. and one. Yeah. Nine and one. Yeah. Now we're back home to Florida AM. We are gonna win that game. Ten and one. Home, Texas Southern. Win. 11 and 1. Home, Tennessee Tech. Mama do DR back in the house. I hope we give him the best, <laughs> the best serenade of all time, he but we're going to win a, the game. <laughs> he will get an ovation. So does that take us to 12 and 1? Mitch, 12 has, us, one. Mitch has us 12 and 1. He sees eight more wins. My Lord. All right. But much, much like the college football playoff uh, committee, they're going to look at our strength of schedule, and that 12 and 1 will not mean very much. <laughs> All right, we're going down to Houston for the first uh, conference game of the season. Yeah, this will be a nice, uh, a nice head scratcher into Christmas. We're going to lose this one for sure. After a, he Christmas. a head scratcher or just a reality check? We're going to say twelve and two after a visit to Houston. Yeah, home home against Tulane. We're going to win that game. Thirteen and two. We are now home against SMU. I want to be emphatic about this. All right. David DeJulius is going to lock Hendrick Davis up and we are going to beat SMU. Okay. I actually agree, but I think it's going to be Micah Adams Woods. That's doing the locking up in this. Micah game. is my guy. So either way. So what's our record now? 13 and two, 13 and two after SMU. Now we're going away down to Memphis. A 14. We're at 14 and two, 14 and two. My Lord. Okay. We're winning it all. All right, Mitch, where are we? Uh, we're going away to we're, Memphis. We're going to Memphis. <laughs> away to Memphis. Uh, win or lose? We're going to lose this one as well. Okay, yeah. we're 14 and three after a visit to Memphis. East Carolina at home. If it was on the, on the road, I'd be nervous, but we're going to win this one. Okay, that's 15 and three, Hummer? Believe so. All right, now we're going away to Wichita State. Tough place to play, but it's a place that we have uh, at least an ownership stake in. 
Yeah, I think Tyson ATN is going to have a game. We're going to lose to Wichita State at Wichita okay. State. 15 and four. Home, Tulsa. I think we're going to beat Tulsa at home. 16 and four. Away, Temple. Got a bad feeling about this one. Either this one or the next one. One of them is going to fall. So uh, it's just going to be one of those. So, all right. So, let's, you've let's got us. Go, let's go. We're going to lose here. Yeah. All right, fifteen and five, which means we're winning at East Carolina, or is it yeah, a, is it our first losing streak of the season? No, we're going to respond under West Miller and that charisma, and we're going to win on the road at East Carolina. <laughs> seventeen West and Miller's five, charisma. Seventeen and five, really? Okay, home Memphis. All right, first road, or sorry, first losing streak, and it's going to come at home. We're going to lose to Memphis at home. Well, you have us beating East Carolina, so we're not on a losing streak yet, but. We're taking Wait, it I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go out with, out with a limb. He's saying the next game after Memphis is Houston. He's predicting a second L to Houston. That would be our first losing streak under the West Miller banner. Yes. And I, I think it'll come to two good teams. So, yeah. So eight. So that would be nine. By the way, that might be one of our first home back-to-back home uh, losses that we may have experienced in several years. Would that be correct too? Don't know about that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Don't bring up streaks on the pod. I'm already having enough problems keeping together the record here. Um, 17 and seven, 17 and seven heading, uh, (laughs) heading away to South Florida. What's happening. We are going to respond on the road with a win at South Florida. I know this can be a tough place to play, but we're going to win there. Yeah. 18 and seven now away back-to-back away games out to Tulsa. What's happening? I think this will be a tough one. I think we're going to lose this one. Yeah. Eight, 18 and eight home for Wichita state. We are going to beat them back at home, regain that home court. 19 and eight. Now we are home against temple. Another win. We're going to rectify 20, that earlier loss. Buddy, 20 we're and eight. We're 20 yeah. and eight. Now we're back. Okay, UCF away. A loss, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> this is I, a loss. We, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't talk about UCF much, but they're one team that's not very skilled, but they're old and they're long, and they could just cause us problems on kind of the ugly side. If they really ugly things up and force turnovers and make it make us work mentally, they, they could have us. So, yeah. so we're 20 and 9. Yes. And now we've got South Florida at home. We're going to beat South Florida at home. 21 and nine. And now we've got SMU on the road to close American athletic conference play. I could be a coward and say, we're going to lose, but we're going to win. Yeah. All right. So you've got us at 22 and 10 heading into the conference tournament. Look at you. You give us two extra wins from what you uh, 22 and nine, 22 and nine. Oh my God. Look at this. 22 and nine. Unless my Excel spreadsheet here is wrong. I got 22 and nine. And you're including the Kansas State game? I went down and just, just as you said it, I put it down. Wins that and makes losses. sense. That makes sense because I had 24 and 7. So 22 and 9 is Mitch's official record prediction for the Cincinnati Bearcats. I love it. See, this is what happens, Mitch. You get on a podcast, you start talking, you know what's going on the record, and you give the Bearcats two extra wins. I love it. <laughs> now you know why we're overly optimistic every season. I love it, Mitch. This was a great time. Uh, really good to get to know you, get to meet you in person. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on at some point in time. Any final parting words of wisdom? I know you've kind of got a tight stop here, but any final thoughts on the Bearcats? No, just uh, I think, you know, 
it's there might be some uh, bumpy rides at points because you know up and downs of the season but overall there's nothing but excitement for this team and we're going to see most of them again next year so view it more as a two-year kind of process and uh let's not try and be too down on them you know if it if something bad happens and just another quick thing is for all the Cincinnati guys out there is we were not going to win the national championship this year I don't think that's a secret but our guy Mick Cronin has a real shot so let's support our boy you know <laughs> oh get that out of here bitch. get the hell out of here with that I'm not, I'm not... <laughs> he has not wronged us he is not wrong. Uh, <laughs> hey, look, you know, while we're at it, our boy John Brandon, he's searching for a new no, job. Let's wish him boy. luck in his search. He Let's hope he boy. gets a job by Christmas. His this children guy. are hungry. Oh, sitting, sitting up in your ivory tower in Toronto, Canada, just telling us to root for teams across the country just because. Get out of here, Mitch. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Had a good time with you. Um, there's probably some things I forgot to ask you. I definitely wanted to go deeper on a few things, but that's for next time, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was a great time. Anytime, guys. Welcome to something that we, we, we've done before in the past when it comes to the basketball team. You know, especially when there's expectations, high expectations, not just, you know, uh, normal where, where you're just like, okay, yeah, we might make the tournament, we might not, but we're like, oh, you're going to make the tournament. Like, that is the goal. If you don't, if you're not in the conference championship game, this season was, uh, was perceived as a failure. Um, so we've done these, they're called therapy sessions, and we generally reserve them for when you just need to make sense of what is going on in the world of bear cat sports and normally it's 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 a close game or a loss or just a disappointment and i think this game against tulsa fits the bill it, it fits the bill for a number of reasons that i'm going to get into um, but first and foremost i, I want to start off by saying this isn't an indictment of like a belief that we don't necessarily belong in the college football playoff. Because I know on Twitter, I get a little emotional, especially in the heat of the moment. Uh, but it is kind of an indictment to the sense that if, if it comes down to it and the, the college football playoff committee doesn't put us in the top four this week, especially as I'm watching some of these other games right now. I mean, Oregon is starting to pull away from Washington, um, you know, but there's still some time left in that game. You got a close game with uh, Alabama LSU uh, Michigan is starting to put some distance between them and and uh, Indiana. So it's, you know, the losses aren't really going to mount up, but the big loss today, the big opportunity was is that Michigan State lost. So there, there are some teams that are going to move up. Ohio State struggled against a, a Nebraska team that is also um, three and six with their record uh, with a loss to, just like Penn State, a lowly Illinois, um, who also beat, uh, Minnesota, so we can still definitely question the college football playoffs committee judgment with putting them there in the first place. But what I'm really wanting to dig into is how the Bearcats' last three games are coming across to me as a fan. Really kind of just dig into this, this nasty, dirty feeling in the bottom of my stomach 
that that anxiety that's creeping up just you know it's it's like the five stages of grief you know at first i'm just disbelief that like we're even getting a, a game with tulsa that comes down to having to make two goal line stands two goal line stands because uh one we let them run the ball all over us all game without making what seems to be any adjustments or if we did make adjustments it was it was an adjustment that was like a, a fleeting adjustment where we look good for one quarter followed by a quarter where just everything we just did flew right out the window up the gut up the gut up the gut i think i heard on twitter someone described it as a, an offense from 1937 and that is exactly what teams have been doing to us for three straight freaking weeks three straight weeks of teams running the ball up our gut with apparently no answer from the Bearcats, none whatsoever. We're looking like a team that, frankly, doesn't really belong in the playoffs. Uh, we're under, we're, and if we go undefeated, if they put us in the playoffs, I'm not going to say we don't actually deserve it. I'm, I'm definitely going to fight for that all day long. But at the same time, what I'm looking, really looking back at too, if they put us in the in the New Year's Six Bowl, can I be upset? Can I? Like it's Tulsa, right? Three and six, Tulsa. Oh well, they barely beat uh, Ohio State. Barely beat them. No, Ohio State actually they they may have scored points late, but they they thoroughly had that game under control. They won forty-one to twenty, right? They were they were only up. Uh, what are we looking at? A few points in the first half, but then they bring up. Seven, 14 in the third, 14 in the fourth, to have a final score of 41 to 20. We were 28 to 20 with Tulsa, a mere fumble away, a mere fumble away from potentially tying the game and forcing us to overtime. An absolute embarrassment of a performance today. And I'm starting to question. I'm starting to look around and say, all right, who is to blame? Because we have all this talent on this team. We know that. All we've been hearing all season is Dez could be a first-round draft pick quarterback, second-round draft pick. You know, I get it. Jerome Ford gets injured. So, you know, but we'll still count him on the squad. We can't, we can't, leave, a, can't leave him out. But Alec Pierce, you know, draft pick, stud, right? My Jay Sanders, stud. Kobe Bryant, stud. Yeah, and Sauce Gardner, stud. Pace, stud. Like, how many times do I have to go through and say, we have studs on this team, but we're getting rang up by these inferior squads when it comes to interior run defense? It's a joke. It needs to be addressed because it's going to be a major liability with whatever game we get into. Playoff, New Year's Six, it's going to be a liability when we come up to another stud of a running back who's going to be able to take advantage of us running a, a running three down linemen. And I know we do with the linebackers, you know, they're kind of a hybrid, you know, we rush them, but so many times I saw us just rush three people getting three down linemen, getting no pressure and just pushing everybody back. It's like we played not to, not to lose the game instead of being aggressive to win the game. Right, we have the best cornerbacks in college football. Why do we insist on saying run against us? It should be the opposite saying, I dare you to throw against me. Throw the ball against me. 
that should be the motto of this defense because we know that these are legitimate players in that secondary who can handle the pressure. So why we're not consistently bringing four people, four, five people, maybe six up to the line of scrimmage and switching it up more consistently than what we're doing is it's boggling my mind. And it's so infuriating watching this happen for a third straight week when all of these opportunities have been nothing but style point opportunities. And we're doing the exact opposite of style points. We're giving the community, the committee excuses to not let us in. We're not giving them a reason to have to think about why they're not letting us in. And I'm getting sick of it. I'm frustrated beyond belief. And that's where I'm saying, why, where do we, why the, where does the blame lie? Because we know the players are there. And frankly, there's not like they're missing tackles. That's not, that's maybe every other, you know, a few plays, that's the case. And we have some, yes, we have some drops when it comes to, to offense. And particularly Michael Young Jr. seems to have forgotten how to catch the ball lately. Alec Pierce had one, but look, he also had some, we had some phenomenal plays on offense. You know, so it's like, where, where does the, the actual you know, blame lie? And the more I'm starting to think about it and, and look at it, and it's, it's almost like we, we look at this coaching staff that we have and we know they're good. And I'm not saying that they're not good and not saying fire anybody maybe Denbrock, but I'm not, I'm not even saying fire anybody, right? That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm definitely not saying, you know, Luke fickle fire. And absolutely not. That would be insane. That would be the dumbest thing you've ever heard anybody ever say. Uh, but at some point, when do we start asking the questions of the coaching staff and, and maybe start saying where we've been getting out coached the last three games, has the coaching staff made the appropriate adjustments to say, hey, this is how we're going to beat this team, or hey, we've had this happen twice to us before. Maybe this team's going to do the same thing. How would we beat it? Because uh, bet your ass, South Florida is going to come out and do the exact same thing, right? They're going to try and run the ball. That's what they're going to do. And after that, that's what uh, SMU is going to do. And if we play Houston, that's what Houston's going to do. That's what they're all going to do. The recipe to beat the Bearcats is to just run the ball up the gut and get four five six yards of carry and and win the game and for the folks out there saying well that's not how you're going to beat this team no that's exactly how you're going to beat this team because we don't stop it that that's what we don't stop is running up the middle for four or five yards of carry so until you prove otherwise that is going to be the recipe for disaster we have superior talent that most of the time against these inferior teams that we're going to be able to squeak out with a victory like we did against Navy Tulane necessarily wasn't a squeak out, but the freshman quarterback there helped us out once we got the lead to the point where they had to start throwing the ball, but it also almost worked against with Tulsa. They were a fumble in, in the, a fumble in the end zone away from tying this game and sending us to overtime. And keep in mind at the time that happened, we had been held scoreless in the fourth quarter scoreless we had not scored we, we we were incompetent to a large degree in both the second and the fourth quarter the the first and the third quarter couldn't have been more perfect quarters 
Like that's what you want to see. I want to see a, a, a team that's just basically stuffing the line of scrimmage. We're fighting that, that battle up front. We're winning it. We're causing three and outs and punts. We're going down. We're scoring on two out of three drives. We're doing all the things you need to do. But the second and fourth quarter were, were utter and total disasters. They're what you can't have, especially if you want to call yourself an elite team, which is what we look at this team as being elite. But it's as the last three games say something completely different. They tell a different story. And it's not one of an elite team. It's one of uh, a team that's good. You know, a, a team that, that has potential to be great, but not a team that's saying, I am great. I belong. Right. We don't have many opportunities on the schedule to make statement wins. We've already had them. We made the statement win at Notre Dame. So now we just need to make good wins. We need to, we need to, to make, what was the old saying there? You got to make lemons out of lemonade out of, of lemons or something. I don't know. I don't even know what the saying is, but it's the sentiment is there. We don't have lemons, but we got to make lemonade out of it. Right. We have limes and no one wants like to drink lime juice. That's disgusting. So we got to turn lime juice into lemonade and we're not doing it. We're not getting the job done and that needs to change. So whatever that is, the coaching staff needs to figure it out and they need to figure it out in a hurry because every week we play like this is another quiver that we give to the college football, the corrupt college football playoff committee to keep us out. We're only giving them the, the storyline that they, they are telling. This is, the, this is the story they are telling. The Bearcats, you know, who have they beat? Well, they haven't really beat anybody. And the teams that they beat, they barely beat them. Well, guess who's giving them that storyline? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The Bearcats themselves are telling, giving the committee the story to tell. So, look, at the end of the day, we have to get the job done. I know we get these things where Luke Fickle comes out and says, well, you know, we, we don't worry about style points, you know, or we get Des Ritter after, after the game against, uh, I think it was Navy kind of said something along the same lines. Tulane said something along the same lines. Well, you know, we don't really think about the style points. Look, start freaking thinking about them because they matter. Clearly, it matters. So you guys need to go out there and execute better. Oh, like I said, what I'm looking at is who do I put the blame on? I'm thinking that the Bearcat coaching staff has been punked for the last three straight weeks. They need to get it together. It was inexcusable having too many men on the field penalties on the defense. Get real. We're at home. We are at home and we're making excuses and we're, we're, we're excuses. We're making these, these stupid thoughtless penalties like too many men on the field. Jesus Christ. That's just as bad as the Jesus signs. And now look, I love Jesus. Don't get me wrong, but we don't need the Jesus signs at game day. Maybe we all need a little more Jesus in our life though. the way, the way this team is playing. We have to pray that the football gods give us a little more ammo to play with because, um, you know, Michigan is doing the job against Indiana the way we didn't do the job against Tulsa, right? Oregon is, looks like they're starting to do the job against Washington the way we didn't do the job against Tulsa. And uh, Alabama's still playing LSU close. So maybe, maybe that's, uh, you know, that's the silver lining in all of this. But, uh, look, I'm just angry. 
I'm, I'm trying to deal with the feelings is I just don't, I don't know. You know, we're fans. There's not much we can do except watch the games every week. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's upsetting that it's a win and it's a win that feels like a loss. It's not, I don't feel warm and fuzzy after beating Tulsa by them fumbling into the end zone and giving, giving us a touchback because we're incapable of handing the ball off and why are even QB sneaking from, from that position anyway, when you kind of need a little more than that, uh, beyond me, not only that is like, like straight up like victory formation, QB sneak, um, but whatever, you know, that's, that's also another execution. Uh, I think maybe also execution combined with coaching blunder, but there, there's so many, oh, so many feels, so many feels right now. And, uh, I just hope they get it right. I hope they get it right. Uh, at some point we're going to need a cats by 70 by 90 game to, you know, kind of remind everybody that we're actually a good team and not someone on the verge of a loss. Cause that's something we have been saying about Oklahoma for weeks is that, well, they barely beat everybody. They play they're due for a loss right now. It feels like the cats are due for a loss the way we're playing. And that ladies and gentlemen needs to change. It needs to change. We, we can't be sitting here every week against inferior competition competition and, in looking at the first half and making excuses for, you know, why we're, we're actually not up the way we should be up. You know, we should be, we should be winning 14 to nothing after the first quarter. We probably should be winning, you know, 21, 29 to three, something, whatever after going in the halftime, but that's not how it played out. So, but a lot, a lot of things need to be answered in the upcoming weeks. Um, this is making me feel a little better. Just, just getting these, this anger out into the world. <sighs> Look, still have faith. Still love the, still love the cats. There's still some time to continue putting some style points up there. We got a, a game against UCF coming up. UCF South Florida coming up. We got a game against SMU coming up. We got a game against ECU. And then hopefully, well, I guess it doesn't really matter at this point with the hopefully, right? But it's probably going to be, maybe it's Houston. I don't know. Um, Houston Houston, and SMU did us zero favors today uh, in terms of uh, taking care of business as well. Um, we'll see. The opportunities to make statement wins is dwindling for the Bearcats. Uh, well, all right, Houston is doing us a favor. Look at that. They did come back. They're, they're winning 47-35, third quarter, getting ready to end. So we need Houston to pull out that victory, keep, keep the hopes of a decent win alive for the Bearcats. But SMU did us no favor, so thank you, SMU. Uh, please, please, for the love of God, I do not want you to, to, join, to, uh, to join the Big 12 with us. Um, just don't want that to happen. But, but there's still time. Still time to right the ship. We can do this. Look, Michigan State lost today. That's going to help. Uh, if we get jumped, so be it. But, you know, there's only things we can control are the, are the outcomes of our own games, and we need, we need to take care of business. It's, that's first and foremost. We need to take care of business. If we don't, we're going to continue to feel the way we feel and to keep being angry after losses or after wins. Wins are going to feel like losses if something doesn't change. 
with that, go Cats.